What do you brag about? You know, I know preachers tend to brag about attendance, offerings, additions, and successful programs, but what do you brag about? A great deal at the car lot? Making 30% in the stock market? A promotion at work? Kids with straight A's? The weight that you've lost? You know, obviously we tend to brag about our successes, but have you ever bragged about your failures? Have you ever bragged about buying a lemon? And I'm not talking about a vegetable or a fruit or whatever that thing is. <laughs> Do you brag about uh, losing your retirement or getting fired or having to hire a tutor for your kids or putting on 20 pounds? Probably no more than you've heard preachers bragging about slumping attendances, deficit budgets, an exodus from the church, and programs that fell flat. But that's exactly the kind of thing that the Apostle Paul bragged about. Why would he do that? Well, let's see. Picking up our study in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, you may recall that Paul has been forced into a position of having to brag a bit. Now, he didn't like it, but he felt he had to do it. There were some false apostles, some servants of Satan, as he called them, who had infiltrated the church in Corinth. They had convinced many in the church that they were more qualified to lead than was Paul, who they insisted wasn't a real apostle anyway. They'd even gone so far as to insinuate that Paul wasn't a real Christian. Now, Paul's primary concern wasn't for his own reputation. He knew the Lord would vindicate him if it was necessary. But he was concerned about what these servants of Satan were doing to the church. So even though the whole thing was distasteful and even foolish to him, he went ahead and boasted for their sake. He set the stage for what he's about to do in verses 16 through 21. Again, I say, let no one think me foolish, but if you do, Receive me even as foolish, that I may boast a little. That which I am speaking, I'm not speaking as the Lord would, but as in foolishness, in this confidence of boasting. Since many boast according to the flesh, I will boast also. For you, being so wise, bear with the foolish gladly. For you bear with anyone if he enslaves you, if he devours you, if he takes advantage of you, if he exalts himself, if he hits you in the face. To my shame, I must say that we have been weak by comparison. But in whatever respect anyone else is bold, I speak in foolishness. I am just as bold myself. Paul says, in effect, I hope you don't think me foolish for doing what I'm about to do, but even if you do, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to boast, just like those false prophets have boasted and turned your heads, 
Now, the Lord wouldn't do this sort of thing, and as a rule, his followers shouldn't go around boasting either, but you've been buying what these guys are selling. You've let them enslave you, devour your resources, take advantage of you, even insult and abuse you because they exalted themselves, and you believed them. Apparently, you've decided my failure to act like this was a sign of weakness, so... Here goes, I'll show you I am just as bold as they and that I have just as much, in fact, more to brag about. If that's what it's going to take to make you listen, I'll do it, even though I think it's stupid. (laughs) First, let me wow you with my qualifications and a record of my sacrificial Labors, verses 22 through 29. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there's a daily pressure upon me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? Paul saying, okay. I'll play their game. These false prophets made a big deal of their ancestry, making you believe that that made them somebody special. Well, I can do that too. They stress that they are Hebrews, the purest of the pure Jews. So am I. Actually, I read the Hebrew scriptures and speak Aramaic. I haven't lost any aspect of my heritage. They stress that They are Israelites, the chosen of God, and hold that that over all the, the Gentile Christians, but I'm an Israelite too. They carry on about being the descendants of Abraham and therefore the heirs of the promise God made to him. So am I, and in reality, so are you. He doesn't go into it here. But he makes it clear in Galatians that physical lineage is not the key to receiving the promises God made to Abraham. It's sharing Abraham's faith. That those who belong to Christ are Abraham's offspring, heirs, according to the promise. Be that as it may, Paul here meets the argument the false apostles were raising head on. And makes it clear that they are no better than he is when it comes to to heritage. They can't claim special station over him on that account. Then he says, well, let's now 
Look at their claim to being servants of Christ, trying to impress you with their sacrificial labors for Christ. Let me share with you what I've done for Christ. At that point, he has to inject, I must be insane to talk like this, what I've done for him. But here goes. I've worked harder, been imprisoned more, and suffered physically much more than they, if that's what impresses you. I've had 39 lashes from Jewish leaders five times. That's 195 lashes. I'll show you the scars if you want to see them. I've been beaten three times by the Romans with birch rods. Once I was stoned, and now that means rocks were thrown at him, and, uh, and left for the dead. I've been shipwrecked three times and on one occasion had to hang on to a piece of wreckage for 24 hours. I'm always on the road for Jesus, facing swollen rivers, highway robbers, Jews out to silence me, and Gentiles who hate me because I ruin their business in idols. I face dangers in the city, in the wilderness, and at sea. No place is safe for me, not even the churches, because false brethren try to get me there. Besides the dangers I face, I give up basic needs for Jesus. I go without food and clothing and sleep to get his work done. Emotionally, I sacrifice too. I've got so many individuals to look after, and I empathize with each one. That really takes its toll. Aren't you impressed? Sadly, sadly, that sounds like some today who are always trying to raise support by bragging about their sacrificial labors for Jesus. But Paul's not bragging about it. He calls it foolishness and insanity. Sacrificial labors, in Paul's opinion, aren't things to brag about. If he's going to boast, he goes on to say, I'll boast about my failures. So let me tell you, about my first really big one, verse 30. If I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. In Damascus, the ethnarch under Aretas the king was guarding the city of uh, Damascus in order to seize me and I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall, and so escaped his hands. Now, we need to go back to Damascus and set the scene. It was on the road to Damascus that Saul of Tarsus met the risen Lord. He was, at the time, a militant Jewish Pharisee committed to stamping out Christianity, which he thought to be heresy. He was on his way to Damascus to ferret out the Jews who had become Christians, to take them back to Jerusalem for heresy trials. And Jesus appeared to him and drastically changed his plans. After his baptism and several days in Damascus, Saul, whose name was later changed to Paul, went into the Arabian desert 
Most likely, he went there to study the Old Testament to discover how he had overlooked so many prophecies about Jesus. Once he had it all together, he went back to Damascus and started preaching to the Jews. As Luke puts it in Acts, confounding the Jews and proving to them that Jesus was the Christ. Apparently, he wasn't really proving anything to them because they weren't buying it. They just got mad and decided to do him in. They got to the governor, asked him to guard the exits to the city, and started searching everywhere for him. He had to escape by being let down in a basket through a window in the wall. Now, the trauma of that night might not at first be evident, but as one commentator put it, Paul had become a basket case. He was convinced God had equipped and called him to be a great evangelist to the Jewish people. After all, he was a Pharisee. He knew Judaism inside and out, and now he knew that Jesus was the Messiah. His witness to the Jews should have been a roaring success. But he had to escape from the Jews. In a basket. What a letdown. And that was only the beginning. Next, he stormed Jerusalem and started arguing with the Jews there. He created so many problems that the apostles had to put him on a boat and send him back home to Tarsus. Only then does Luke record that the church throughout all of Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace. Paul was destined to spend the next 13 years of his life in relative obscurity, learning that God had other plans for him. Only then could he become the great Apostle Paul. Paul says, if I've got to boast, I'll boast about the way the Lord let me fail. The way he had to sneak me out of Damascus in a basket and Jerusalem in a ship before I'd start listening to what he had to say. I'll boast about his willingness to hit this stubborn old boy over the head a couple times to get his attention. I'll boast about his knocking the props of pride out from under me so he could eventually use me. Yes, God knows what I'm proud of. God loved me enough to let me fail and to teach me some very important lessons through failure. Oh, but that's not what you Corinthians want to hear, so let me go on to tell you about one of my visions, one of my revelations. That ought to impress you. Surely this will top anything those false prophets have told you about their experiences. We move to chapter 12. Boasting is necessary though it is not profitable, but I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a man was caught up to the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up 
into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. On behalf of such a man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except in regard to my weaknesses. For if I do wish to boast, I shall not be foolish, for I shall be speaking the truth. But I refrain from this, so that no one may credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. Paul was hesitant to talk about his visions, and that is evident. By the way, he speaks here the third person. I know a man who had this vision. Only when he gets to verse 7 will it become obvious he's talking about himself. But he is. Now, we have no way of knowing how many visions or revelations Paul had. Luke records two of them. Saul's initial vision on the road to Damascus and the vision of the man from Macedonia who beckoned him to carry the gospel into Europe. This is the only one Paul actually tells us about. But we know he had more. He tells us in Galatians that it was through revelations of Jesus Christ that he had received the gospel. Apparently, the risen Lord taught Paul all that he proclaimed through visions and revelations. But Paul never made a big deal out of them. He didn't try to impress people with his visions. Even after being caught up into paradise, he waited 14 years before talking about it. How different that is from the host of people who rushed to write of their beyond-the-grave visits to heaven that flooded the marketplace some years ago. Experiences that I'm convinced really weren't what they seemed to be anyway. But Paul was for real. He was carried away, either bodily or spiritually. He couldn't tell how it was done to the third heaven. Now, the third heaven is simply a way of saying the spiritual realm. The Jews spoke of the sky and clouds as the first heaven, outer space and the regions of the stars as the second heaven, and the spiritual realm of God as the third heaven. He also used the term paradise to describe this place, and, and that's a very descriptive term. It comes from a Persian word for a walled garden and refers to the practice of a Persian king honoring someone by allowing him to accompany the king into the royal gardens. That's where Paul was taken in his vision. And he was privileged to hear things that couldn't even be expressed in human terms. Now, if that didn't set him apart from other men and demonstrate his privileged position before God, what did? But Paul didn't make a big deal out of it. You see, Paul didn't want to be evaluated on the basis of some vision he claimed to have had, but on the basis of what others saw in him and heard from him, something verifiable by everyone. He didn't boast about his privileged revelations. He wasn't like Oral Roberts, who years ago said a 600-foot Jesus appeared to him and gave him an assignment, and of course, that Jesus wanted him to tell everyone about it so they could finance it. Paul said, 
If I've got to boast about visions, I'll boast about what the Lord did to me to keep me from getting a big head about my visions. I'll boast about my humbling afflictions. And because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It was because of the greatness of the revelations Paul was privileged to receive that God allowed Satan to humble him by putting a thorn in his flesh. What that thorn was, we don't know. The reformers felt it was some kind of spiritual or emotional struggle that Paul had to face over and over again. Catholic theologians used to say, it was fleshly desire, Paul's sexual hungers that had to go unfulfilled, and this was particularly popular with the monks who could readily identify with it. Most modern commentators feel it was some physical malady, guessing everything from epilepsy to recurring malaria to diseased eyes, whatever it was, it was sufficient to keep Paul from exalting himself. It was a humbling affliction that kept him ever aware of his need for the power of Christ in his life. Now, he didn't like it. He prayed specifically on three occasions for the Lord to take it away, but he didn't. Finally, either through an audible revelation or an inner understanding, Paul got the message my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. You see, it's only when we realize how powerless we really are that we're willing to turn to someone else for help. And the Lord wants to help us. He wants to give us that help. He wants to give us the power for living and for handling the difficulties of life. He wants us to have to count on him to get through. Not so he can be a crutch, but so he can be the foundation of our life and our source of power. If we go through life thinking we can handle life by ourselves, we probably will go through life by ourselves. We'll assume we need no one. God doesn't want us going through life without him. So he allows things to happen to us 
that make us see just how powerless we really are, how desperately we need him. He may even allow a thorn to remain in our flesh after we beg him to remove it because he knows we need it. Paul says, that's what I'll boast about. I'll boast about the weaknesses and afflictions that I have and that make me dependent on God. I'll boast about how God can do things through me in spite of my weaknesses. I'll boast about the times people can really see God working in my life. And those are the times when my weaknesses and my failures are obvious to all. Therefore, Paul says, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's when I give up and surrender all to him that I discover the sufficiency of his grace. So if I've got to brag... I'll not brag about my sacrificial labors and my privileged revelations. No, I'll brag about my failures and my humbling afflictions. But those are what lead me to God's will and what keep me in it. What about us this morning? Are we all ready to quit kidding ourselves? Are we ready to admit our failures and admit the humbling truth about ourselves? Are you ready to admit that you can't do it by yourself? Life has struggles. I mean, has it ever been more obvious in this past year? And everyone around us is telling us how hard things are. Even if we haven't experienced them, we're afraid they're going to crash in on us any moment because they're happening everywhere around the world. We have struggles. We have fears. They're constantly being fed. I think Satan is, is, is shooting thorns into our flesh continually to keep us from being what God has called us to be and from trusting him enough to worship, to fellowship, to celebrate, to be God's people, called out of the world? Are we willing to admit that sometimes we haven't handled things very well? Sometimes we've been overwhelmed by, by fears and struggles, and we look around then and we say, well, boy, it's been happening to me personally, and I'm, I'm worse off than somebody else. And I mean, Satan constantly tries to get us in a spot where we think we are lost and there's no hope. Don't cover up your fears. Don't pretend they're not there. Acknowledge them. Acknowledge the times when you've failed to respond in ways that, that reflect the power and the glory of Christ. And then ask him to just empower you to be a faithful witness. Surrender. You're all to him. Give him your failures. Give him your weaknesses. Give him your fears. And let the power of Christ come in and change you. 
Let him use you. That's my prayer. I hope that's your prayer. We shouldn't be bragging about how God has specifically blessed us, and he has. He's, he's blessed us as a congregation. He's, I think, honored our faithfulness. We've accomplished some great things this past year in spite of the struggles. But we don't brag as if we've accomplished them. We can't do that. We just thank him for his grace. And take that reassurance that he wants to be involved in our life every day. He wants to use us. In order for him to use us, we have to acknowledge we need him. We can't do it by ourselves. We need to surrender everything, even our fears, to him. Let's pray. Father, we come to you with grateful hearts. Grateful for the times you've let us stumble. Grateful for the reminders that we're given on a regular basis that life is tough. And sometimes we're picked on. Sometimes because of our acknowledgement of your lordship, we're attacked. We don't celebrate the attack, but we acknowledge that it hurt it only hurt enough to make us trust you more. Give us wisdom. Give us confidence. Help us be what you've called us to be. Help us to acknowledge our need to depend on you day in and day out, moment by moment. Only then can we come through the struggles of life with a sense of peace and accomplishment. Even the fear of death has been removed. Because of the resurrection of Christ, you can do all things, and we can do all things through you if we'll acknowledge our need for you and just trust you. Help us have faith. Help us to stand firm. Help us to openly express our love for you. Help us to share that joy with others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.